0: This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin, with support from New Zealand On the Air.
1: The young, shining cuckoo is fed by its foster parents on insects and spiders. But the korimako, or bellbird, has a much more interesting diet of nectar. It's been something of a radio personality, and has sung on shortwave radio to Australia and the Pacific nations for 30 years. However, the early recordings failed to reflect the versatility of the bellbird with its wide variety of liquid notes and artistically placed clicks and bell-like sounds. It's not surprising that Maori mythology describes Korimako, the bellbird, as the messenger of Tane, sent to herald the coming of the sun.
0: Community or chaos, we can construct and nurture community... ...or fall into chaos. Over the next hour, Marvin Hubbard hosts conversations toward creating a fairer, more equal society. Community or Chaos is made possible with the support of Quaker's Aotearoa. You'll find them online at quaker.org.nz.
2: Good day, friends. Today we have with us on Community or Chaos... Professor Robert Patman and Dr. Leo Goldsmith. Robert is a leading New Zealand academic in the field of international relations, and Leo Goldsmith is a member of the Middle East and Islamic Studies Research Group. You can podcast this by going to oar.org.nz and then going to podcast and then going to community or chaos. Well, welcome, Leo and Robert. To uh, Community or Chaos. Good morning. Good
3: morning.
2: Leo, could you give us a very brief history of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict?
3: Well, um, I'll try to be very concise. I mean, that could be uh, take up a large part of your uh, se- I know. It could take too. the hour. <laughs> but I think, like, just to do some broad strokes, we're, we're essentially talking about two wars here. The one that the Israelis uh, recollect and... Uh, perceive, and the ones that the Palestinians. So for the Israelis, they talk about the War of Independence. They talk about the liberation of Jerusalem in 1948. I mean, if you drive from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, there's all of these uh, monuments to the, it's almost like the Great Trek for the, the Boers in South Africa or something. They, they have mythologized these uh, origins of this war. And of course, for the Palestinians, this is the catastrophe. This is the Nakba and the evidence of villages emptied out and destroyed are everywhere as well when you're in Israel-Palestine today. Um, But I think it's very important that we clarify uh, when we talk about Israeli-Palestinian war. I think there's been uh, three stages to this. We have the first stage, which was the Israeli Arab War, which began in 1948 at the, the UN partition, and the Israeli Declaration of Independence, um, and finished approximately in 1973. And this is when the Arab states basically finally uh, gave up the resistance against the Israeli state. And then you have following that the Israeli-Palestinian War, which the Palestinians essentially took up the struggle on their own uh, through the Palestinian Liberation Organization through, through the 1970s up until 1993, when we had the Oslo Accords. And so that was the end of the Israeli-Palestinian war. And then we have uh, what we have currently, which is the Israel-Hamas war. And Hamas, supported by its uh, regional allies, uh, Iran, Syria, and the uh, Hezbollah in southern Lebanon. So those those are the sort of like... in, In terms of trying to understand those stages, so each phase closed... Uh, when Arab autocrats were compelled uh, to ignore their own public opinion and to make uh, concessions with the Israelis, and by doing so abandon uh, the Palestinians, so Israel, uh, I'm sorry, Syria and Iran and Hezbollah claim to be the last supporters of the Palestinian cause. So that's 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 you know a quite a uh, complicated and contentious issue in itself, which. I'd be happy to uh, address as well. But those are the sort of like the broad outlines of the war or the stages of the war.
2: There are Palestinians who not only live in Gaza but also live in Israel and also live on the West Bank, which is, uh, legally speaking, occupied territory. That's correct. Uh, Do the Palestinians... This is. For both you and Robert, do the Palestinians have reason to feel resentment against Israel and what justification do they have for taking
3: action against Israel? Well, um, I mean, if I could just uh, absolutely 100 percent, the Palestinians, as I've said, um, they've, they've basically been caught between a rock and a hard place. The Israeli state and especially those hardline elements within the Israeli state, are uh, are absolutely um, determined to expand the territories of Israel to the full extent of the land of Israel, Eretz Israel. And so uh, we um, met with some uh, of the cabinet, uh, the Israeli cabinet, the current government, and uh, a guy called Avi uh, Diktel, who was the Minister of Agriculture, and he explained to us that It's the Palestinians' fault that we have to keep attacking them. And it was quite incredible to hear saying that if they had just agreed to 47, or if they just agreed to the border in 67 or whatever, then we wouldn't have had to keep on attacking them. But really this is just a pretext, and what's happening is a gradual expansion of the Israeli state to occupy all of the land previously occupied by the Palestinians. So they're basically being squeezed out of their own land. And of course they have a full... Uh, justification for resentment, frustration, despair and, and all of those things that we see expressed in, in, the, in the, you know, the, this uh, on, ongoing tragedy which keeps on flaring up and in this latest case is the, by far the worst.
1: I, I would just, I agree with Leon and i just add that the United States unfortunately has facilitated um, the expansionist bent of Israeli governments with the failure of the Oslo process by 95 after the assassination of Rabin, uh, the Israeli prime minister, by uh, right-wing nationalist uh, Mr. Netanyahu had criticised, by the way, Mr. Rabin's involvement in the Oslo process. And Mr. Netanyahu, as Leon indicated or implied, does not envisage independent, an independent Palestinian state. And um, the, 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 what is facilitating this gradual encroachment on Palestinian land with, I think, something like 600,000 settlers now in the West, Israeli, illegal Israeli settlers in the West Bank um, is the fact that the United States, all presidents going back to Bill Clinton, um, have protested verbally and publicly against Israeli Settlements in the West Bank, but that's as far as it goes. We have ritual protests, but you know nothing much to show for it. Even Mr. Trump, who appeared to be the most pro of the Israel, uh, most pro Israeli of presidents, uh, indicated recently that when he took office, he was under the impression it was the Palestinians driving the conflict. But he reached the conclusion uh, within a year or so um, that Mr. Netanyahu was not seriously interested in a two-state solution or any peace with the Palestinians. So, uh, in a sense, the Palestinians' frustration is not just with the Israelis, it's with the international community led by the United States, which has effectively facilitated and enabled uh, in in actual fact, in substance, of what's happened. So, yeah, I mean, they, they must be feeling very bitter. And, of course, I think that's the context in which Hamas have got some leverage amongst the Palestinians because uh, they feel abandoned and desperate.
2: Are there differences within the Palestinians themselves? Mm.
3: Yeah, I mean, the uh, the Palestinian politics is is very complex, Um And there are um, major political differences in terms of their ideology and in terms of their external support networks and so forth. So as we know, there was the major conflict between Fatah and the uh, Hamas, uh, starting from the Hamas election victory in 2006, uh, which led into an armed struggle in 2007 and the separation of the Palestinians um, in Gaza and the West Bank. Um, And I think that... um, The regional context is constantly mediating the uh, ability of the Palestinians to unify and the ability of the Palestinians to mount a coherent resistance, either politically or physically, as Hamas continues to try to do, or the Islamic Jihad. Um, So I think it's important to note that Hamas is a very... um, began as a, as a, as a welfare-type organisation to try and support Palestinians, especially after it grew in popularity, after the supposed uh, PLO caved into the Israelis through the Oslo Accords, and that's how they gained political popularity. However, they're an incredibly authoritarian um, organisation these days, and they reflect very much its supporters in uh, Iran, uh, Syria and in uh, Lebanon and Hezbollah. So, for example, in the 2014 uh, conflict, Hamas uh, executed under torture about a couple of dozen of its, of its own people because they were suspected of uh, disloyalty and so forth. This is a brutal regime in itself.
2: Do they, uh, support a two st- Do they really support a two-state solution? I know that the Palestinian Liberation Front does
3: so, the 2017 uh, revision of the Hamas Charter uh, spoke to uh, consider- consideration of a two state solution along 1967 borders. And they also, uh, but they qualified that by saying that they would not recognize uh, Israel as a state, um, which of course means that they would be in a similar position to most other Arab states in the, in the region.
2: Yes, but I, I would imagine if there were possible of a two-state solution, both states would need to recognize the other.
3: <laughs> but I think Robert alluded to that. Yeah, sorry, Robert. Robert?
1: No, no, I was just going to add to that, that there is a, you know, as the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, made quite clear, there is a context, uh, and that's not in any way excusing the appalling terrorist attack by what is an authoritarian uh, terrorist organization, namely Hamas, which is actually widely disliked in Gaza by many Palestinians. Uh, And uh, that context, you know, I think is crucial to understanding what's happening. And um, one thing that really strikes me about the present situation is that if Israel well, the current leadership of Israel is seriously interested in diminishing the leverage of Hamas, an extremist organization, then they really should be looking for a political solution. Hmm. Instead, they have persisted with uh, a military Hmm. approach, which has actually boosted Hamas rather than diminished it.
2: Do you think they may have a lot of the right-wing members of the present Israeli government who, for instance, wanted weakened the Supreme Court in Israel because they didn't want anybody limiting what they could do. Mm. Do you think they and Hamas have some, some things in common in their attitudes?
3: Uh, well, I
1: think it's fair to say, I'd be interested in what Leon's got to say on this, but my sense is as a sort of non-expert on the region, but someone interested in the external involvement in the region or, or the, the involvement of external actors in the region, it, it, it seems to me um, that, in a sense, uh, there are moderate voices both in Israel and in the Palestinian territories. But in the case of the PLO authority, not uh, the uh, Palestinian Authority, Fatah, uh, they've been they haven't been rewarded for their moderation by uh, the Netanyahu government. After all, Fatah recognises the existence of Israel, and yet conditions for many Palestinians in the West Bank continue to deteriorate. And mm-hmm. so um, that in itself must drive extremism within the mm-hmm. Palestinians because they look at a group that is moderate and reasonably compliant and it doesn't improve the lot the lot of many Palestinians. Um, I, I think in short, they do feed off each other in the sense uh, Netanyahu and Hamas and of course there's been some speculation amongst Israeli commentators that Netanyahu wasn't too unhappy about Hamas being quite dominant in Gaza providing uh, you know the blockade was in place this comprehensive air sea uh, and, and land blockade that was in place from 2006 I believe up until the attack on the 7th of October uh, because, in a sense, that meant the Palestinians were divided. But yeah, it is a tragedy the present situation that moderate voices in the in amongst the Palestinians and the Israelis have effectively been sidelined um, by yeah what might be described as extremism in in both Israel and in um, Gaza.
3: Leo, would you uh, just coming back to what? you said at the start and I agree with what Robert said as well. Um, any kind of move towards a compromise agreement and any kind of, I think two-state solution is off the table now, I mean it's has been for about a decade, but any kind of normalisation is a threat to those on both sides as you mentioned. Who have different agendas? So, for example, Hamas. Oh, let's actually start with the Israeli side. So there is those within the Israeli, uh, and this is why Rabin was assassinated within the Israeli body politic, who do not want a peace settlement with the Israel, uh, with the Palestinians. Before the job is done, before they have reclaimed the full land of the Eretz uh, Israel, the. Uh, this is the uh, the objective of the religious Zionists. Now the secular Zionists were uh, are quite different, the original Zionists, but the religious Zionists who have gained the ascendancy in Israeli politics through the offices of Netanyahu's uh, opportunism and coalition building, um, do see this as an opportunity to reoccupy Gaza, to annex the West Bank. And, um, and, and effectively use the pretext of that there's no way that we can trust the Palestinians. After I mean, the, this massacre on October 7 is going to be used. It's already become like a, a monument to Israeli struggle and resistance. Um, but from Hamas's point of view, we have to look to Iran. And Iran does not want to see a compromise or a peace agreement or any kind of normalization. And for them, the Abraham Accords were a very critical threat. So The Abraham Accords were a normalisation of uh, relations between uh, UAE firstly and Bahrain, and then Morocco, Sudan signed on, but then they fell into civil war, so they withdrew. Um, So we can talk about that separately, but there was a conversation between the Iranian foreign minister and the uh, Palestinian uh, leader, Ismail Haniyeh, uh, two days after the Abraham Accords, and um, I quote uh, that Tehran felt confident that the heroic Palestinian people, Arab and Muslim worlds, are strong enough to foil this agreement. So the the the, the plan was put in place to basically destroy that normalization agreement and to uh, prevent any of the moderates on either side from reaching any kind of compromise. So that's exactly what you were saying. The, is uh, the hardliners on both sides or regionally, um, have got a lot to gain from this uh, very catastrophic exploitation of Palestinian vo- vulnerability. The illegal settlements of
2: uh, Israelis on the west Bank, which is occupied territory, and illegal by UN standards, international standards, has been increased considerably over the last five years, hasn't it? Now I was in some ways this makes me think of the Irish Republican um, civil war actually. Ireland in the at the end of World War One was finally due to resistance to England gained their independence but their independence came with a, a but, that the Northern Ireland and the Protestant Ireland could remain part of the Europe of England and a lot of a, um, a lot of Irish Republicans resented that and they actually had a civil war between the government of Ireland legitimate. And the uh, ones who resisted having um, a two-state solution, really. And is that would that have to come about to have two states in um, between Palestine and Israel? What happens? I mean,
3: uh, the the. Um,
2: I may, maybe this is a false example.
3: Totally. I think the political geography of of Ireland um, compared to the West Bank, um, I mean, it's just the level of penetration, the infrastructure that is there, the facts on the ground, the lack of continuity for Palestinians within the West Bank, all the way to the border of Jordan. You've got nearly uh, possibly 900,000 Israeli settlers, heavily entrenched, um, and I visited some of those illegal settlements and the, the, their mentality, quite frankly, scares me. Um, they, they have no comprehension of... I mean, this is part of the messianic vision. Once you gain some progress in this mission, you cannot retreat. You do not retreat. And and the fact that they're being supported very strongly by those in uh, Netanyahu's government, like uh, Bezalel Smotrich, the finance minister who has been given uh, control of the West Bank um, security uh, I think is um, it's 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 very very challenging in terms of a two-state solution, um, and I think that you talk to uh, Arab Israelis or uh, Palestinian Israelis citizens, and and they see the only solution as a one-state solution. So Israel, by trying to achieve its goal, has actually destroyed its ability to be able to achieve a uh, Jewish purely Jewish ethno-state. Um, and so they've actually basically destroyed their own project uh, unless they resort to genocide, which is what some people fear that may be the case. The, um, what question happen
2: in Gaza immediately?
1: Well, I, I think uh, there should be, a, um, and I would like to see New Zealand more active on this front. Um, New Zealand voted in the UN General Assembly, and it was... only one of the five ice partners to do so for a sustained humanitarian truce leading to a permanent cessation of hostilities so we i think new zealand needs to reinforce the 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 cry the demand for immediate ceasefire the world is watching while carnage is occurring the u.n Mm. unfortunately what this, situate, what, what this conflict has shown and has repeatedly shown over many years is that the UN Security Council is not fit for purpose. It's dysfunctional and is unable to act as a barrier to conflict. And uh, that's not going to be fixed easily. Um, but I think... It, what, he, what really there there is tension building up between the united states and the netanyahu government and um i'm i'm a bit baffled by the american's position because what mr netanyahu has gone about doing since the 7th of october his mighty vengeance which he publicly pledged has subsequently transpired and the americans seem to be acting as if they were unaware that this might occur. So on the one hand, American officials are saying they support Palestinian civilians. On the other hand, they are supporting a government in Israel which has now accounted for the death of more than 11,000 Palestinians, most of the civilians, close to 5,000 children. Um, The Americans are showing serious signs in the last few days of growing impatience, um, the a very interesting memo released in Politico over the weekend, um, which was put together by members of the State Department. Which said that the Biden administration's handling of this situation has been counterproductive. It's undermining what America stands for in the world. And it can't go on. American diplomats are privately calling for a ceasefire. Um, So at some point, an American president has to say no to an Israeli prime minister, particularly one that's presiding over an ultra-nationalist coalition. Whether it will be Mr Biden, I doubt. But there's not going to be a political solution, given the impotence of the UN Security Council until America decides that it won't just pay lip service to a two-state solution, it will actually actively drive it. Mm. You know, there's another complication here is, seen through the eyes of the Palestinians in many Arab states, America is not in a position to drive or really fast track such a, an approach, even if it was technically possible. And I agree with what Leon said. There's so many settlers now since 1967, particularly in the West Bank, that it's difficult to envisage how this can practically occur. Except we did have an interesting example when the Israelis withdrew from Gaza in 2005. I think, and Leon can correct me here, I think about eight or nine thousand Israeli settlers were uprooted from Gaza and sent back to Israel, which caused a bit of a political a domestic political row in Israel. Mm. Um, the, the question of sending back to the night, to the, you know, uh, uh, something like between 600, 900,000 illegal Israeli settlers in the West bank seems like too big a, a project somehow. So it, it looks very problematic, but uh, I come back to the point I was making. I don't think the Biden Administration's position is sustainable in its current form, and America's international reputation is being gravely undermined uh, by the fact mm-hmm. that it gave unqualified support for Israel immediately after the terrorist attack on the 7th of October. It was quite possible to combine strong support for Israel's right to self defense while pointing out publicly that that right of self-defense was not limitless and that it should be confined to targeting Hamas. That hasn't happened.
2: Do you think Hamas knew how Israel would react to this attack? It was
3: well planned. One hundred percent. I, I have absolutely no doubt whatsoever that this was um, very carefully orchestrated to produce precisely the result that we've seen. So if we go back through recent history, and we can actually get through this a sense of how the the Syrians and the Iranians actually view the Palestinians as expendable um, for their regional uh, objectives. So, for example, if we look at the way that um, uh, the 2006 Lebanon War, uh, the 2008 uh, Gaza conflict was very much... Uh, to try to divert attention away from the, uh, the Syrian president who was going to be indicted by an international criminal court. Um, and, and, and in this most recent... Uh, sorry, for, in 2011, I think in terms of trying to understand that the Hamas does not represent Palestinian interests. The Syrian uh, and the uh, Iranians and Hezbollah work in close uh, coordination with Hamas. So in 2011, um, the Syrian government bust Palestinian civilians, one of the largest diasporas of Palestinians in the world who, who lived in, in, in Syria uh, at this time, uh, to the border, sent them to the border where they knew that the Israelis would open fire on them. And they basically sat back and watched as a way to try and divert attention from the repression which was happening inside, inside Syria. Um, and also, so this latest provocation. So it's all, the Israelis are extremely predictable. The Iranians, they know how the Israelis are going to respond. The Israelis will respond exactly the same way every time that they have a kidnapping or or, or some kind of provocation. So by by by, and and this was very carefully planned. And I mentioned about the the coordination between Iran and Hamas immediately after the signing of the Abraham Accords. So I was lucky enough to visit the Blue Line in um, northern Israel, southern Lebanon, and uh, visited some of the tunnels that were built by Hezbollah. So they've been uh, planning uh, ways to be able to provoke Israel into confrontation for a long, long time. So those tunnels are incredibly complex and that's just one that they've found so to, the, the, you can actually imagine what we, what kind of uh, infrastructure they have in Gaza as well and um, they knew exactly what they were trying to do and the reason what they did that is what they have achieved which is that Israel will respond, Israel would destroy its international reputation the Americans would lose uh, credibility uh, the Arab regimes who had started to move towards normalisation with uh, the Israelis would lose credibility with their own population, which was already the case. The, the Israelis are under a false illusion that they are accepted because they did these normalization deals. In the Arab street, nothing has changed whatsoever. In fact, Israel is less accepted than it ever was. Um, but so That's
2: are- no excuse for what is actually
3: appears to be ethnic cleansing. Uh, In Gaza? Uh, it's no excuse whatsoever. It's no excuse whatsoever. It's like we talked about earlier. It plays into the hands of the uh, right wing of the Israeli uh, political spectrum who actually want mm-hmm. to ethnically cleanse West Bank and Gaza. So what what's uh, happening is that Israel is playing into the hands of Iran and the worst elements of its own political uh, spectrum.
2: What happens to... Well, I'm going to come back to this. I'm going to be, play a piece of music, and then we'll be right back. Before I do that, Robert, did you want anything to add immediately?
1: Yeah, no. I just want to reinforce something that uh, Leon was saying. I'm, I'm, you know, I absolutely agree with his analysis that this was a very coldly calculated move by Hamas, knowing, accurately predicting how the Netanyahu government would respond and uh, from hamas's point of view the operation has worked very well so far achieving many of the objectives that leon listed um you know this it, it draws attention to another thing there's been great consistency in the approach of israeli governments particularly ones led by netanyahu during the last several decades um towards hamas they tend to assassinate leaders but the problem is that this engineering approach, assuming this organisation could be somehow eradicated either at the top level or completely, has not been has not worked in practice. And most Hamas leaders who've been assassinated have been replaced by even more hardcore extremists in their uh, in, you know, uh, so they haven't moderated the organisation by physically killing their leaders. And if anything, they may have actually made them more extreme, and that draws attention to another factor that the Americans, I think, are now really getting very uh, concerned about, which is Netanyahu's continued uh, preoccupation of eradicating Hamas as he could. Say. Uh, is that possible? Probably not. Um, and what would? It, and even if it was, would it make Israel? more secure the answer is probably no and uh what we do know is the attempt to eradicate hamas which has embedded itself within the civilian population in Pal- in gaza would have catastrophic will continue to have catastrophic consequences for the civilian population okay
2: okay i'm going to play another song and then we'll come back
0: to do I can turn the other way and I can He's a simple engineer He does the things he should He lives inside a bear Questions what they use them for On weekends he goes sailing In his boat out on the bay Back home inside Outside his door Every day he helps To win the war Finishing his drawings Never counting up the cost Or knowing what is won And what is lost News 早
2: We're talking with Robert Patman and Dr. Leo Goldsmith on the, um, Gaza, the um, Gaza strife between Israel and Hamas and the enormous number of civilians who live in Gaza. Is it significant, I've noticed that the, um, noted that the, Jewish community in Dunedin has actually come out in solidarity with the Palestinians in Gaza. They, they made that decision very recently. Is this a, a widespread phenomenon?
1: It seems to me that, um, Leon, there's been... Yes? I can't
2: hear you.
3: Can you hear me? No. What
2: doing?
1: People who have been oh, protesting. Wrong thing.
2: Now I can hear you.
1: Uh, been- uh,
2: I'll ask that question again. I, I pushed the wrong button sure. for a second. The Jewish community in Dunedin has actually come out in solidarity and sympathy with the Pal- Palestinians in Gaza. Um, is this a... A widespread phenomenon now
1: I think it does represent something what we've seen um, with um, many of the protests not just in New Zealand but in other countries particularly the Western countries there's been something of a disconnect between the stance of their their country of these countries which was very strongly pro-israel from the beginning and pretty unqualified support for Israel's right of self-defense um and uh, this disconnect has been shown by the fact that many of the protesters have expressed sympathy including from the jewish community um and shown sympathy for the plight of the palestinians who have been reeling under this disproportionate retaliation and quite inaccurate retaliation if you if you take into account that hamas was responsible for the appalling attack of the 7th of october and um yeah we've seen it in dunedin locally but there's also a number of prominent jewish people in a number of countries including the united states who've taken issue with the refrain um or with with the view that it was anti-semitic to criticize the netanyahu government they've described that as rubbish and they said that the netanyahu government um which is facing criticism within Israel, um, shouldn't be exonerated internationally from the steps that it's taken. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that, that that we've seen there have been, of course, been stand with Israel protests in many countries as well. But I get the feeling that the large number of people protesting against the Israel Gaza conflict tend to be supportive for the Palestinians who find themselves under this intense bombardment.
2: Do you think the idea that uh, if you criticize Zion or Zionism or Israel's actions, that um, the idea that you can call people like that anti-Semitic, do you think that's losing its power?
3: So, I mean, I think um, from the very beginning of the Zionist project, The majority of Jews were actually uh, very concerned about this. So, for example, for those uh, devout uh, Jewish ultra-Orthodox in Eastern Europe, they saw that uh, setting up a nation-state in the Holy Land was something sacrilegious. And also for more secular um, European Jews or North American Jews, the idea of um, giving up this sort of their cultural uh, context and moving to the Middle East was something that they didn't really want to do. And I think we have to always remember that it was the Western uh, countries, Britain, uh, US, restriction on Jewish immigration, which left no other option but for to uh, move towards the towards us uh, trying to establish themselves in Israel. And I think um, that's something that uh, most m- much of the global Jewish community is aware of and and the fact that these hardliners uh, who have basically turned this idea of changing the Jewish identity from a religious identity to an ethnic identity and the point of this was to try and establish some kind of genealogical uh, Uh, historical right or claim to the land of Israel, which, of course, is ridiculous because when we look at the history and the geography and the demography of the Levant, there's never been an exclusive ethno-national state. Um, And and, and it's simply impossible. What they're trying to achieve is just historically not uh, feasible. I mean, the, the longest... That any of the Crusader uh, states managed to persist for was at 200 years. So Israel is up to 75, and the sooner that those uh, they realise that this kind of wa- this uh, exclusive Jewish nation-state homeland is is actually having the a reverse effect, and that there's many uh, uh, who would support a binational, uh, diverse, uh, democratic, genuinely democratic state. Within that part of the world, and that's the only real solution. I mean, the idea of of the Jewish nation state is, is crazy. I mean, you think about um, if all the Muslims decided that they were going to reclaim Andalusia, or or that the Christians had uh, had a right to Jerusalem, or something like that. So, I think those are the things that you know, the wider context of Jewish global politics and and, and perspective towards Israel are, are quite important to keep in mind.
2: So, actually, now getting into uh, solutions, how important is the U.S. Res- military and economic support for Israel?
1: Well, I'd say it's pretty crucial. Um, the United States provides about $3.8 billion a year. Uh, that money is paid at the beginning of the financial year, which is quite a departure from the norm. It's normally paid at the end of a financial year. Um, It's, uh, you know, and we saw with the attack by Hamas, the the appalling terrorist attack by Hamas, the Americans basically said in quite plain language to the, I mean, you had Mr. Biden visiting uh, Tel Aviv. You then had Mr. Blinken making, I think, three visits, uh, the Secretary of State. And uh, uh, other prominent politicians as well from other countries visiting, uh, expressing solidarity. But I think the American role is crucial. And um, uh, America does have a lot of leverage over Israel if it wishes to use it. But there doesn't seem to be any political will in Washington. Um, And here we have to make a distinction between those who work in the diplomatic service, the State Department, and the people who make political decisions in Washington. What was really striking, then, was that the Palestinian member of the House of Representatives who called for a ceasefire was censured and uh, effectively ostracized by many of her colleagues. Um, and I think one of the things that strikes me as quite shocking uh, has been the lack of empathy not amongst all Americans some are very empathetic to what's going on but amongst many democrats and m- most republicans there seems to be and you, this is reflected to some degree in the media coverage in the united states mm. of the conflict um there seems to be little mm. recognition um of the degree of suffering that the Palestinians have been subject to by the from the consequences of an action that they had nothing to do with. If Netanyahu's intelligence service, which is impressive, were caught cold by the Hamas attack, um, then it's equally certain, I think, that very few Palestinians had advance warning about the Hamas attack, which probably involved a lot of planning as, as Leon said, over quite a considerable period of time. So one of the things I found quite bewildering at times has been watching mainstream American news programs and presenting very much a one-eyed view of what's happening. Um, and that, that that, to me, is quite disquieting.
2: One of the things that surprised me is the lack of um, uh, among the major figures in the Democratic Party, real sympathy for the Palestinians. I was pleased with Bernie Sanders. I listened to his talk and you could and he's Jewish, by the way. You could feel the symphony, symphony he had for the Palestinians and his awareness of the situation, and also the the woman from Mich- Michigan, I believe. But by and large, you're right. That it, the uh, people that pull the levers of power in the Democratic Party have not, uh, either not felt sympathetic or not expressed it.
1: Well, if you looked at the Republican um, the debate among some of the contenders recently, the word Palestinian was never mentioned in two hours, and. This is an extraordinary situation where we have the most powerful country in the world, which quite rightly believes it is a a superpower. But it's shown itself to be a very partisan player in a conflict with global ramifications. And I think there's going to have to be if America wants to reclaim some of its soft power, it's going to have to readjust its policy at some point. There's no indication that's going to happen anytime soon. But let's not be under any illusions. America's approach to the Gaza conflict since the 7th of October uh, under the Biden administration has done quite a lot of damage to America's standing. Hence the indignant memo signed by a, a number of American diplomats that has been circulating and was leaked to Politico recently.
2: Does this mean that New Zealand should be careful about our arrangements with America?
1: We, we have a very good relationship with America. We share you know, a lot with America. What I mean you.
2: is, <laughs> are there some things that America is doing we may not want to share?
1: I think it's not so much we don't want to share, but I think we need to be quite clear where we stand.
2: Oh, that's what I mean.
1: Ameri- and, New Zealand is an foreign itself, policy. Well, not just independent. Most Kiwis (coughs) believe that their country's foreign policy has a moral emphasis. And um, I think silence to some degree when international carnage is occurring is complicity. And I think many people are. New Zealand showed great courage in embracing non-nuclear security in the mid 80s despite a rift with the United States, which was subsequently healed. We showed great courage under Helen Clark's leadership when she said no to Mr. Bush, Mr. Bush's illegal invasion of Iraq because it wasn't sanctioned by the UN Security Council. I know (coughs) that we have been troubled or paralysed to some degree by a political interregnum, but I don't really buy into that because in terms of foreign policy there's little great there's not much to separate uh, national and labor it was quite within their capability mr hitkins and mr luxon to issue a joint statement indicating where we stand very clearly on this issue um i'm pleased we voted the way we did um in the un uh, general assembly uh but i think new zealand needs to repeatedly and quite clearly indicate that this law breaking we have a critical interest in a rules-based international order and what we've seen since the 7th of october are war crimes firstly by hamas and then by israel israel remember our position as set out night by nanaia mahuta um on the 8th of october was that we fully support israel's right to self-defense providing That right was exercised within the framework of humanitarian law. Well, that's very contestable in light of what's happened. And so I think we have every right to demand an immediate halt to this intensive bombardment, which is killing so many innocent Palestinians.
2: Well, it seems to me that something has to happen not only... for a ceasefire, but to make the situation of peop- the people who live in Gaza more livable and somewhat more independent. It's, it doesn't seem to me that that you can carry on with Gaza as it is now forever or even for years. It's It's inhumane. It's inhuman.
3: Absolutely. And, uh, but I think we have to be very clear uh, that we need to put firm international pressure. And I think we have to be very careful about talking in blanket terms about Israelis and Palestinians. International pressure on those actors within this dynamic who are benefiting from the continuous mm-hmm. return to conflict. And there is no... Uh, benefit to the, there's no cost involved. So the Qataris will just come and rebuild Gaza. The, the people in Hamas, they're living in Doha and Villas, they, the, the political leadership. So I think there has to be extreme pressure put on both the Netanyahu government and also those people who work with mm-hmm. Hamas in Tehran to release the hostages as a first step, which will put pressure on the Israelis to actually. Uh, mm-hmm cease their bombardments and remove that pretext Mm -hmm. and then there has to be a move towards genuine peace process not these fake peace processes that we saw with oslo and the abraham accords which actually uh, marginalized the palestinians put the palestinians at the center of a new genuine peace process something that the israelis uh, don't seem to understand that they can do a deal with an autocrat in Riyadh or in Abu Dhabi, and that represents Arab integration or Arab acceptance. It does not. They have to deal from the grassroots and build from there. It's going to be a long, long road.
1: Yeah, I I agree with Leon. I think that Israel has to come to terms with the fact that the Palestinians are not going to give up on their quest for political self-determination, and Israel really has to, to come to terms with that. And what it means?
2: Mm. Now, uh, we don't have really time to go into this. So, but is Netanyahu is he going to go when after when once there is a long-term ceasefire?
3: Sorry, Netanyahu. Yeah, uh, I think that the Israelis want a political change. I mean, I was listening to some of my Israeli colleagues last night, and they talking about Israel three They need to. Uh, after this war, whatever however it finishes, that the Netanyahu, I think he's politically finished because of the intelligence failure, because he was already deeply unpopular, because of his uh, autocratic tendencies. Well, thank you both for coming on board.
2: And um, thank you. this is one of these subjects we could probably spend a week on talking. But well, thanks a lot. And, um, thank you. Friends, uh, be aware of what's going on in Gaza and put any kind of pressure you can and think of the people who are living in Gaza. Thanks a lot. Thank you.
1: This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.